This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Expanding your view into a multi-layered perspective gives you relief. Multi-layered means noticing different life experiences that happen at the same time. Physical, emotional, relationship, self, cognitive, spiritual, and others. If you find yourself constantly battling insomnia, suffered from countless nights of sleep deprivation, can't fall asleep, then Sandra Kornblatt's book is your solution. She highlights many techniques that will help insomniacs gain the benefits of sleep without ever having to sleep. Meditate for a second. Take a deep breath. And know that you are not alone. There are over 70 million people in America who have trouble sleeping. Moving through everyday life without proper sleep can be frustrating and alarming, but with this book, you will learn how to properly function from your lack of sleep. If you can't fall asleep, Sandra teaches the importance of an evening ritual to create internal rest. Restful Insomnia teaches you how to bring rest to the body with a unique form of night yoga, quiet the mind through guided meditation, quell the soul's worries through night writing, Instead of leaving your bed worn out by sleeplessness, you will leave your bed refreshed and ready to conquer the day. Restful insomnia gives you tools to thrive while functioning on little to no sleep. Valeria Tellez interviews Sandra Kornblatt, the author of Restful Insomnia, How to Get the Benefits of Sleep Even When You Can't, Konari Wellness. Sandra Kornblatt helps people exhausted from sleep issues and stress who want to get the rest they need and heal what's underneath. As a sleep and personal coach, she developed the seven pathways to rest using disciplines such as somatic healing, visualization, yoga, and hypnosis. Sandra is the author of four books on sleep, brain function, and energy boosting, and has spoken at Microsoft, Seattle Counselors Association, and many podcasts. Meet Sandra at RestfulInsomnia.com. Here is the interview with Sandra Kornblatt. In your own words, who is Sandra Kornblatt? If I think about my life ending tomorrow, 
one of the things that I have valued and put so much, you know, the 10,000 hours of effort from that Mal- Malcolm Gladwell talks about is being more connected with my true self and with the heart of the earth and other people and planet beings that are here. And it's taken many forms. It's taken the form of getting married, dealing with deaths, having two grown children, and especially looking at resting into myself and helping other people rest into themselves around sleep and letting go and letting the magic of sleep, welcoming the magic of sleep instead of chasing it. What is spirituality to you and what is to be spiritual? You know, I think spirituality for me is entering that level of understanding that we are all connected. We're all one tiny atom in the universe that is interactive. There's nothing that we can separate, either physically or also from the heart. And so it is remembering um, that connection and remembering what your path is to make that connection. And also, to me, it's honoring the obstacles that might come up as you move in that direction and finding ways to hold them with kindness and allow them to shift so that you can create a deeper and deeper sense of being part of it all. So I have a question here that I I don't ask everyone, but I'll ask you. Um, How is being calm different from being peaceful? Sometimes, and I've experienced this, you can calm your body while your mind is still doing and your emotions are still doing its thing. One of the ways that happened to me early in the pandemic is I would get um, anxious and it was so easy to follow that path of anxiety because it has a sort of forceful personality um, and fighting that also doesn't really help. So what I ended up saying to myself is, I feel anxious and I'm calm and I'm okay. That's the word. I'm anxious and okay. And so that was that level of having both those experiences, the calm and the anxiety at the same time. And then the peaceful feeling is when that anxiety is also willing to let go, where I can hold myself with a sense of deeper kindness and letting the whatever the mind and emotions believe not even be close to the foreground, that there's that sense and and a sense of accepting the illusions that come up and not trying to fight them. For you, what lessons have you learned in 2020? And also, Sandra, do you have a vision for a new and better reality? Two good questions. What I have learned from the pandemic for me personally is um, two pieces. One is that On the one hand, I do okay alone, better than I thought, that I can sort of bring in that sense of universal love. I hug trees a lot. There's a tree that's near me that has a branch that goes right under my arm. So honoring my body and feeling the microfungal connection with other people through the trees. And then I've also learned that company is important. I have a housemate and that allows me to work at home but also making some really strong connections and trying to put my heart into the connections through technology, not just, you know, not just the words, but also really feeling other people. So that's what I've learned. And the other question of do I see, what, what do I see for the future? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, a vision, right. 
you know, the best vision I have had is working with people doing climate justice work, really understanding that this culture has been so extractive and debilitating of people and the earth, but that to create something different means to rebuild that. So it means having caring connections that move forward with the process being part of it, but the heart and the connection and holding everybody in their individual strengths and um, difficulties is really part of feeling that love in all of us moving forward. What do you love most about being a woman? Mm-hmm. I think that there's so much gray area between man and woman in terms of the possibility of connecting. And for me, being born in a woman's body and living as a woman, I find that the miracle of giving birth, I mean, simply just being there and having that experience is just insanely wonderful. But also there is a more natural tendency to connect. Um, Sometimes that can get in the way. We lose our sense of who we are because of it. But At the same time, there is this deep understanding that we are not alone and to be able to build that sense of, I don't know, you can call it community, our humanness with each other. Um, And again, I think men certainly and the male figures can do that. Um, And I think that there's strengths of just seeing with direction and fortitude that I appreciate as well. But the woman part for me is the connecting. What is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? Well, this culture doesn't make being a woman all that easy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, True. You know, uh, and I think that um, some of it is just feeling feeling pain of other people. You know, when I um, read the news or hear stories about people being shot, um, and I think many people feel it, but I know that it just enters very, very deeply um, and to stay present with the pain and move forward and not let the pain shut me down is, um, I think, I think one of the big challenges for me of having this female contraption of a body. That makes me think about empathy and also intuition. Are they connected, Sandra, somehow? Yeah. I mean, I think that Everybody has a sense of intuition, but unless you're willing to step out of the mind and feel what in some ways other people or other parts of your body are experiencing, you're not going to pick it up. So I think that also once, you know, if you don't feel empathetic, but you start to notice your own intuition, you're also picking up the energy of other people. So I think it's a matter of just being open to that energy channel and it comes in many ways. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? You know, one of the things that I've thought about is how people talk about babies. And some people say we need to get back to that baby point of view of awe and wonder. But I think the interesting thing about being human and being an adult is that we also have this cognitive mind that um, is useful. It helps us, you know, helps me get through the day. But how do you integrate the cognitive mind with the awe and not let one erase the other? Because if we're only in awe, we're not going to be creating some of the things we need on the earth. And if we're only creating things on the earth, we miss the awe and the purpose. 
So I think that there's a service that we create to others and to ourselves in really understanding the ways that we connect in our own inner layers and with other people. Um, And how can we serve? And at this point, in terms of some of the things that happened in the culture is how do we heal? How do we heal the role for other people individually and as um, and institutions? What is your idea in understanding of a balanced life? Well, balance is not de- a stasis. Balance is always about moving. So balance means that you have to get unbalanced in order to be able to find the edge and go back. So there is a way of holding even imbalance with harmony and understanding that it's constantly moving and learning. And I think that it's having the layers of self not be so impermeable that you can see through them and be able to move from one experience to another with as much grace as you can do at that moment. So this movement, so balance is not a destination because we hear that a lot, just living in balance and getting there and somehow staying there, but there's no such a thing. Even if you have somebody on a tightrope, you know, that, that they have to have perfect balance, you can watch how much they move, mm. you know, they, right. they move back and forth and they adjust. And so that's part of our life is knowing the forces that might knock us off balance and adjusting to them. Love and unconditional love. I usually talk a lot about that, but I ask a question to my guests about unconditional self-love. Do you believe that this is a realistic goal, practice? I think it's a realistic dance. (laughs) Um, You know, in the same way that there is, the same way we're talking about balance, we are evolutionarily set to be aware and we're evolutionary set in our bodies to be aware of, you know, people say saber-toothed tigers or, you know, whatever. Um, and we live in a privileged culture, but that sense of awareness doesn't go away. And we end up turning that awareness and hypervigilance in terms of our connection with others, in terms of how we are. And so I think that that often is one of the instigators, along with trauma, Um, of um, negative self-talk. And so I think there's some useful things that can be learned from negative self-talk, but when it's on that loop, it's no longer useful. So for me, I think that unconditional love comes a lot in my mind through kindness, through kindness for that negative self-talk, kindness for what we've done well, kindness for us living today and being alive and being connected to the earth. And so I think that you can carry unconditional love or kindness with you and it's like waves. You know, sometimes it diminishes and then you can bring it back again. But the more you bring it back, and sometimes you might have a feeling that this is ridiculous, but the more you come and you bring it back into your body, the more your body experience can start to rest in that. Even when you're missing something or you wish something was different, you can have that sense of unconditional care for yourself at the same time. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Oh, that's quite a question. 
feel like I should have gone and gotten my master's of divinity <laughs> to answer that one. But um, let's see. Freedom. Freedom for me is about choices, but it's about choices that are for the highest intention that you can have at that moment. So, you know, we may not be able to always intend to um, do divine will, but your intention may be in the form of sharing that you're angry with someone in a way that they can hear it and is kind. Um, And that may be divine will, but we might not identify it that way. So freedom for me is having choices where you can resonate with the highest place you can resonate at that moment. And then I often wonder why some people don't see, because they do have the choices, but they don't see them. And then uh, would you say that goes back to unhealing work that needs to be done? Yeah, I think that there's so many levels of that. But, you know, I think it can start from in utero, but also from being an infant of um, the atmosphere in which you're raised of believing there are only certain truths. Um, and so to, I, I think that, you know, I've been through a lot of grief in my life. Um, my two best friends and husband all died within two years of each other. But one of the things that I learned from their death is my own continual death process. And one of the hardest things I think to lose is your identity because you get so caught up in believing and feeling like it's a knowing of who you are that to let go of that is it requires so much vulnerability and again in our culture we tend to do that singly but it works so much better when we have others to help us move through things so i think that that's that's where people i think get stuck a lot So how did you become a writer and what was the inspiration of writing your book, Restful Insomnia? I've always loved to write um, and I was very happy to have written that book and three other books on energy boosting and on brain function. Um, And Restful Insomnia really was the key for me to start doing writing because I wanted to have a book published on that topic. But um, so... It started with insomnia. (laughs) I had chronic insomnia, woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't get back to rest, couldn't get back to sleep. Um, I had two young kids at the time and I would go to sleep like an hour before the alarm went off. And I wasn't mother of the year (laughs) and nothing nothing worked. Um, I didn't do pharmaceuticals. But, you know, coming back to asking about me and sort of the purpose of my life of just healing, I realized that I could do some of that in the middle of the night um, because I didn't have time to do it in the day. And that moved me into deep rest, which I found later renewed my body, mind, and emotions and welcomed sleep. So I spent the rest of that long bout of chronic insomnia, which I no longer have, really understanding the power of deep rest on not just sleep, but in really connecting to who you are. And then that program was born. And then I was gifted with some books to write and that and Restful Insomnia was one of them. So my next question is about the common causes of insomnia, Sandra. What are they? 
Oh, well, you've got how many million to the people? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I I really look at everyone being individual. Um, And so I think that, you know, it can run anything from sleep issues, I mean, breathing issues, to the food you eat, to the exercise and movement you get, and to the medicines you're taking. Um, But what I often look at with people that doesn't get addressed quite in the same way universally is um, your relationship to yourself and to your mind, to your emotions, to your environment. And oftentimes what keeps people from sleeping is chasing sleep Um, because sleep, you can't make yourself sleep. Um, And once you start monitoring the clock and wondering if you're sleeping enough and how you're going to do tomorrow, your mind, your body, and your emotions are all on alert, which is a great way to keep yourself awake. (laughs) You wrote, insomnia can get too personal when people blame themselves for not sleeping. So I wonder why this happened, the blaming. Why would you blame yourself for not sleeping? Is that a habit that runs through our lives, like in other aspects of our lives that we are bringing to sleep? I think that's part of it, yeah. And I also think that sleeping... For most of us, we slept when we, right after we were born. We're like, fine, we're going to go to sleep. And it feels like a very natural thing. And when sleep doesn't happen, people, I mean, this, the whole sleep hygiene piece, which I have a lot of respect for, oftentimes comes out as a bunch of shoulds. And so people feel like they're not doing something right and they should do it differently. Right, right. But um, people also don't quite know how to let go of their mind. And that's another piece of identity. Um, and they know that they should let go of their mind and they get frustrated that they can't. They don't see anything keeping them awake other than themselves. And then they end up blaming themselves because the thing about blame and anger is that it creates a story with an idea of a solution at the end. So I think people don't necessarily move into what really is going on, but they just hope that if they blame themselves enough, they'll get cured somehow, <laughs> um, which Last I checked, didn't work quite as well as people hoped. <laughs> no, it never works. <laughs> what is sleep, really, Sandra? Like, what happens? Um, do we go somewhere? Like, yeah, what happens in that in between? <laughs> it's such a miracle. Sleep is such an amazing thing, you know, and I mean, I could talk to about the stages of sleep and light sleep and heavy sleep and REM and your dreams. And I, I think that's easy to find it you know, on the internet. I think the issue, the thing for me about sleep is that it is um, a chance to integrate your day and integrate what you've done. It's a chance to settle into a different part of your experience than the conscious mind. So your unconscious mind can do its healing power. Um, It's a chance to connect to a different sense of reality. I mean, Dreams make sense and make no sense, but there are they are our language, and that language, understanding that language can help us connect more deeply to ourselves and therefore, as we were talking earlier, connect more deeply to where we are in life, who we are in life, and the earth and other people. So um, I adore sleep, and I also respect its mystery. So talk to me about the uh, seven pathways to rest, to restore, and welcome sleep. 
I know I have one of them here. You sent me an article and I have the sixth pathway, but please talk to me about any of, of them. Yeah, I'll just, you know, what I discovered was that there are obstacles to rest. And some of the obstacles are the same as the obstacles to sleep. But during that long bout of chronic insomnia, I started to look at the obstacles and identify how to move through them. And most of them come down to your relationship. So first is your relationship to sleep and rest. We were talking about if you chase sleep, it's like chasing if a cat leaves your front door and you go screaming and running after it, it's going to run away. It's not going to come back. Um, So what is your relationship to the sleep and to rest? The second is what is your relationship to your environment? It's not just having the perfect, dark, cool environment. But, you know, if there is an interruption, how do you hold that in kindness? How do you create a cocoon for yourself? The third is your relationship to your body. Oftentimes, we treat our bodies like second-class citizens, um, that it's just our bodies are just there to sort of carry around our minds, and we give it the minimum amount of good food and exercise that we can to keep it going. But there is so much wisdom in the body, and so it helps to have this way, this pathway to descend into the body which needs rest. That's three. The fourth is your relationship to your mind. The mind, especially in this culture, is job number one, um, and I value it, but it also it is a bit of a bully. It thinks that once it operates, it should keep operating. So your relationship to the mind, holding it in kindness, finding other things for it to do that aren't personal is a key piece about rest. Then you have your relationship to emotions, which rev up the body and thoughts and images and visions. So how do you create space, even when you're feeling anxious, to for rest? Again, we were talking about having several levels at the same time, but really being able to have a different relationship to your emotions. And then We'll talk about a relationship to your bigger picture, something bigger than yourself. And then the last one is your relationship to your purpose, to yourself, to your levels of self, so that anything that you're doing during the day or other places of your intention that are getting in the way of rest can be addressed. So do you recommend, would you say meditation is the best method to quiet the mind when we want it to be quiet? (laughs) So many levels of those questions. I'm going to back up a minute and I will get back to the meditation piece. Um, You know, one of the things that's helped me is to put a personality on the mind and a personality on anxiety. And for different reasons, neither of those two personalities want to quit. The mind, the conscious mind, um, because that word mind gets used in so many different ways, but the conscious mind likes to solve problems. And once it starts solving a problem, it thinks, oh, I'm, I'm in now, give me another problem to solve. Yes. So it, it, it gets identified with that and it's helpful to see that um, and to be able to hold that again in kindness. Anxiety for me has a sense of false purpose. Um, it gets to be kind of, um, you know, so if I'm feeling really anxious and I tell myself to te- take a deep breath, anxiety says, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. A deep <laughs> breath is so stupid. It's not going to help. I have to figure out the answer to this horrible thing. Sure. Yeah. But the truth is that when you do take a deep breath and you let the levels of who you are also rest, that you're answering the demands of 
anxiety and it can start to let go. But I think it's honoring that those parts in our identity get have a real sense of purpose. It might not be a useful sense of purpose, but they have something that in some ways honoring it can help them be seen and let go a little bit. So that's that my part of that piece. And then meditation. I meditated for a long time and I meditated badly for a long time. I considered myself a bad meditator because I would sit and I would breathe and I would basically spend the rest of the time thinking that I was doing it wrong. And what happened to me a little more than a year ago is I was listening to a podcast by Tara Brock, who talks a lot about this, but I took what she said and I realized that instead of meditation being a time to do a technique right and getting more enlightened, was a time to simply be kind to myself. I was going to spend three minutes being kind to whatever came up being kind to being irritable, being kind to not knowing if I was doing the technique right, to being kind to having a moment of peace. And that is another way of meditating in some ways. People just call it being aware, but aware didn't have that heart connection for me. So I think that when I, and I know that when I work with people, because each of the pathways has tools when I work with people and we find ones that are individually aligned with who they are, there is a piece of that meditation piece of coming back to the tool with kindness to seeing, again, that returning to that place and seeing if it helps you move into rest. So there is that piece. And certainly for those who are able to meditate, but I also honor that for some people with body trauma, meditating brings up really uncomfortable issues. So there are other pathways that are similar in that sort of returning to kindness, but have a different form of focus or place to rest that may not be your breath breath or your body. It may be something else. But again, it's holding it with that sense of care for yourself and the, your struggles. I love the, um, you write, the uh, create your own inner sunset. That is an interesting proposition. <laughs> to go to sleep. Do you want to talk for a moment about that? How can we create this inner sunset? I just value everyone's ability to imagine. Some people do it easily and some people don't. Mm -hmm. But um, there's that piece. And then the other piece is that um, in our own, again, when we're living in a world without so many lights, when it gets dark, our, we put out melatonin. Um, our pineal gland puts out melatonin, which helps us rest. So for us, we need to create our own sense of sunset um, for helping us rest. And it can be anything from imagining the colors and holding the lights and the change and letting go of the light. And it can be creating an evening ritual, turning off the lights in your house or turning off the overhead lights and turning on lamps. Um, and starting to let go of the doing mind. In, and, but it's not just letting go. I think we were talking about that as well. I think letting go works when we have something else to do. And because our minds want to hold on to something, so give our minds something gentle to hold on to instead of telling them to go away. Um, so we're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you. Those are the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? 
Um, I would love to read a passage actually from my blog. My book is 10 years older and I've gotten wiser since then. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, 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 would, I, I think that seems like the best next step to do. Yeah. So this is called The Spiral of Taking Your Insomnia and Stress Personally. It starts like this. Gia had long ago stopped reading articles titled Why Sleep is Important. They just made her feel if she didn't fall asleep within five minutes, she was doomed to early death. She already was terrified of not sleeping. Her bad nights, they showed up the next day at her graphic design job. She was bleary, stuttery, and testy as all get out. She felt like a failure. She couldn't do something as simple as sleep. And that spiraled into more tension and stress, exacerbating everything from work to bedtime. Sleep is personal and it's not. Sleep and the lack of it affects your relationship, your work, your self-care, your health. That is personal. But it can get too personal when people blame themselves for not sleeping. They worry that they didn't strictly obey sleep hygiene rules. They stayed caught up in stupid little irritations They couldn't fix unknown imperfections that kept sleep from magically appearing. On top of that, they blame themselves the next day for being bleary, stuttery, and testy. It's a rough road. When you take it personally, it makes getting to sleep worse and not better. But what else is there to do? It is your life that exhaustion is messing with. Remember we live in many layers at once. Being stuck in just one perspective keeps you trapped. Expanding your view to a multi-layered perspective gives you relief. Multi-layered means noticing different life experiences that happen at the same time. Physical, emotional, relationship, self, cognitive, spiritual, and many others. I've incorporated these layers in my Restful insomnia is seven pathways to rest. And right here, we're focusing on the sixth pathway, your relationship with a bigger picture. Here's ways to expand your view when you're caught up in struggles. One is to let your personal stress about sleep or other issues fade into the background, even just five or 10% instead of right in your face. Remember, these aren't your personal failings. There's a larger context. You're part of a culture filled with unreasonable expectations and overload. So getting stressed is actually an appropriate but uncomfortable response. A reason to be kinder to yourself for doing the best you can. Notice what else supports you. The bigger picture could be family, friends, community, earth, the divine, When you can do that, you create room to let go. And that is assuming your mind knows it's okay to take a break. But if it doesn't, you can help with that. It's a human truth. The conscious mind often thinks it can do it all. But it can't. Life requires more than your conscious mind and your ego. When you open to the other layers, something outside of this spiral of your mind, life starts flowing, even around the edges. Think of it like driving home during the intensity of rush hour. This is written when we used to have rush hour. (laughs) It's already taken too long to get home, and those self-centered drivers are horning in line to make you want to scream or worse. And then you crest a hill and see a glorious sunset, soft oranges and misty purple lighting the sky. The commute magically gets better. Things are less personal as you notice the sunset and the bigger world. 
you can create your own inner sunset. At night, create that same feeling. You do that by tapping into something larger than yourself, a bigger, non-personal perspective of nature. Divine your life with a view from afar. Imagine the trees are exhaling oxygen as you inhale, and you inhale carbon and they inhale carbon dioxide as you exhale. Call the name of the divine into your heart. Feel energy run through your body, earth energy through your feet, spiritual energy down through the top of your head, feeling them mix in your torso to release physical tension. And then anything you don't need flows into the center of the earth from the base of your spine or your feet. Picture the galaxies surrounding our solar system, surrounding earth and surrounding you. Practice, play with, restore, return to these elements as lightly as you can. Let them infuse your experience, even just a tinge, or ride these images like an inner tube on a gentle river. Even a small wash of this wider view lessens the intensity of the sleepless anxiety cycle. As you let the larger perspective soften you, it brings on rest and welcomes sleep. The bigger picture helped Gia when anxiety arose, but she didn't get there overnight. As we worked together, we explored where Gia was hooked into the anxiety cycle, and we developed ways to release it. Her favorite was to imagine the galaxies. That biggest of bigger pictures helped her let go of feeling responsible for everything. When she didn't take her sleep or stress so personally, she had room to rest. I wish for you what I helped Gia to find, those galaxies and galaxies of rest. Thank you so much, Sandra, for your healing work. Thank you. Mm. It's a gift for me. Uh, It's a gift to us, yeah, from you to us. Thank you. So this article is actually part of your book. It's in your book, right? This is a, or not really. No, this is part of my blog, which is on my website. And my book has, um, my book has many of the pathways to rest in it. Um, It has first five that I developed um, and it's a good piece to start with. Um, And like I said, we all get wiser (laughs) and I've gotten wiser. So I've expanded my work, but I haven't updated my book yet. Maybe I'll call it Return to Kindness. Yes, yes, I love that. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Oh, I would hope not, but I know that um, from experiencing deaths of others, it's a reminder to love more deeply. Um, And I try to love as deeply as I can now, but um, I think that I would try to learn even from a last day more than I know now. But there's no major changes I would make in my life. Um, I feel grateful for the learning I've done and the gifts that I've had to be able to go deep um, and to expand wider. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Um, I think we're here, I think we're here to heal and to give and to serve. That's one piece. I think that gives so much meaning to life. Um, I think we're here to connect to our bodies and to humanity and the earth um, in a very deep way and the gifts that are there. And I think we're also here to rest into ourselves and into the life that we're given um, and to 
appreciate as much of what we're given as we can. Thank you so much again for your purpose for this lifetime, your beautiful work, your peaceful and kind presence. Thank you. It's a gift to talk to you. (laughs) Same way here. (laughs) And I have this technical question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? The best first place is the, uh, my website. It's called restfulinsomnia.com. Um, and people can sign up for a newsletter uh, th- or actually sign up for a free audio and PDF called The First Steps to Deeper Rest. I also provide free short consultations um, to help people get to know me and see about their rest and sleep and working together. And, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you so much again, Sandra. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much as well. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sandra Kornblatt and her works, please visit restfulinsomnia.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.